When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to think that when we think positively, we can create a positive change. But that isn't always true. And it certainly isn't that simple. Sometimes these well-meaning ideas can only create surface-level impact. And when it comes to diversifying a workplace, the real work comes from making actual systemic change. But it can be tricky to know how to get there. Our next guest recognized this gap and decided to dedicate her work to helping organizations create infrastructural change through workshops, one-on-one mentorship, and intentional goal setting. By putting action behind words, she's helping facilitate lasting change in the workplace and actually diversifying a company in a real and lasting way. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's guest is Bethany Wilkinson, the author of the book, The Diversity Gap, and the founder of the Diversity Gap Academy, an organization bridging the gap between good intentions and real cultural change. Having worked at a variety of nonprofits, Bethany is no stranger to the effort of values-driven companies to diversify the workplace. Although the intention to, quote-unquote, do good might be enough to get started, there should be more intentional effort to create positive change through action. In Bethany's new book, The Diversity Gap, she provides readers with a better understanding on today's racial climate. And as a woman who grew up in the South, she's using her own lived experience and her expertise to transform good ideas into action. Bethany gives us tools needed to transform good intentions into good action and empower her audience to address the systemic race barriers of their personal and professional lives. In today's episode, Bethany shares with us what it means to want to do good versus actually doing good, the inspirations behind the diversity gap, and a little more perspective on addressing diversity in a more helpful way so that all of us can contribute to a safer workplace. I love Bethany. I loved this conversation. I I adored her book. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into this. Well, I was thinking earlier today that you have played a huge part in kind of good, good, good as an organization since probably the first year we were founded because we launched on Kickstarter you were originally at Plywood People, uh, an organization that was really supportive of the Good Newspaper. And then I came and like attended multiple workshops with you where you helped me work through tons of the business stuff. And we probably met that first year that it was founded. And so it's just been so cool to get to learn from you year after year after year. And now to get to learn from this brilliant and amazing book you have, which you know we'll talk about in a minute. 
I remember the day that you launched the Kickstarter or the week. And I remember that one of your offerings was to have you come speak at an event. And I was sitting <laughs> next to my boss when we were like, we're getting, we're, we're doing this. And so we invested in the Kickstarter and we confirmed you for Plywood Presents later that year. And yeah, it's just been really great ever since. That's so funny. Yes. That, I mean, that was the biggest contribution to the whole Kickstarter was, was that tier. So uh, couldn't have done it without y'all. <laughs> mm, so good. Talking about the book. So the book is called The Diversity Gap, and I am absolutely loving it. I mentioned before we started recording that this is 100% the most helpful and also challenging business book I have ever read. And it is already helping me rethink the way that I want to run good, good, good in like completely a positive way. Like it's an exciting journey. Uh, and, and so first of all, just thank you so much for for writing this. This is so good. And I'm so excited for other people to get to experience this. Oh gosh. Yeah. Those are high praises. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but it's been a labor of love and just the compilation of research and lived experiences and conversations with friends over dinner. And I'm really happy that it's finally all organized into one thing that that, you know, leaders can use in their everyday work. Yeah. And before we, you know, get into that, I thought that it might be kind of helpful to kind of go back to before you started writing, back when, you know, this was just maybe a concept you were looking at pursuing. And so I'm curious, when did this idea for creating education and tools around the gap between good intentions for diversity and true cultural change come from? The whole project of the diversity gap really emerged after a couple of experiences. So one was back in 2014, 2015, I was leading these day-long racial justice education trainings for nonprofits and faith communities in my city. Um, people were trying to make sense of what was happening, you know, after the, um, death of Michael Brown, you know, Black Lives Matter as a movement was gaining steam. And so me and a few of my friends were like, okay, well, we have this education, we have this experience, let's create a learning moment for others. And so I was leading these day-long trainings. They were really powerful, really interesting, but I kept feeling frustrated because it was like people would see racial injustice happen and then their go-to would be, oh, I need to diversify my team. And, mm. and I didn't, quite understand that correlation fully. I'm like, ah, that's important, but it's not like, it's not solving the problem. So that was happening. And then I was also feeling frustrated because I wasn't seeing organizations transform in light of having more information. So that was one part of it. Um, like just seeing the gaps in between education and action in the organizational context. On the other hand, there was my lived experience as a Black woman. I have worked in a variety of nonprofit values-driven organizations. And I was often the first or the only Black person or Black woman in those contexts. And I was daily experiencing microaggressions and strange power dynamics. And, and I was having a negative experience. And so I'm like, okay, obviously just diversifying your team, adding a beautiful and colorful slate of individuals to your organization isn't actually getting to the root of the problem. And so my personal experience, plus seeing that organizational gap led me to start research for the diversity gap as a project itself. And you mentioned that, you know, you have gotten to work with these 
you know, incredible values-driven organizations. And of course, you know, good, good, good falls under that category. Probably, you know, 80% of the podcast guests that have already been on the show kind of fall into that category. And I think you're right. I think that there are these like really good intentions that we all have where, you know, we all really do care about diversity and about creating a better world that's free of of racial harm and, and so many other things. But we, you know, there, there's so many ways that people can fall short of that. How did you reconcile the fact that, you know, okay, these are organizations that are doing good, they're doing their best, and it's, you know, they're just not quite there yet on this. Like, how do you avoid excusing that and kind of, and what is, you know, your experience as, you know, potentially the first or only Black woman in these spaces? A part of how I approach that particular challenge is by doing what I can to open up the stories of impact. And by Mm. that, I mean, I like to think on my best and most optimistic days, I like to believe that if people really understand how their workplace cultures are affecting other people, then they are better equipped to do something about it. And so it's really important that we find ways to understand what our impact actually is on the folks who are walking through the doors of our organizations every day, especially if they are having a racially, if they're a racial minority in that environment. And it's tricky. It's not easy. It's not one size fits all for figuring out what those gaps are and what that true impact is. It depends on the size of your organization, the culture of it. Do people feel safe? You know, there's a lot of factors there. But with the diversity gap, I was thinking, okay, if I can create a safe container for um, BIPOC to open up their stories, then then I don't know, maybe we can learn some lessons there. And maybe we can give in- leaders who have good intentions just a little bit more perspective on on what it could mean for them to address diversity in a way that's more helpful. So that's one way that I approach it. I love that. And and so you started doing research and conducting interviews, having conversations, deep diving into this. Uh, what were some of the things that that you found that surprised you in that beginning part of that journey? On my first day of interviews, and you may have heard me tell this story before, but on my very first day of interviews, so this is January 2019, I think, I had two sets of interviews lined up. So that morning I had planned to interview two black women who worked in a large international nonprofit. And then in the afternoon, I had plans to interview uh, one black woman who worked in a small architecture firm. And so in all of the interviews, I was asking kind of the same questions, you know, tell me about your experience here or like, tell me about your organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. Do you feel like you can be yourself here? These sorts of questions. And that morning, the two black women who were of a few of the black people who worked in this organization as a whole, um, they said, you know, even though our organization has a lot of work to do as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have a really great experience every day. We can wear the earrings that we want. We can do our hair the way we want. We don't feel like we're having a really negative experience. And so that was surprising to me. It was like, oh gosh, these folks are fine. Maybe there's not a problem. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> um, but then that afternoon, I interviewed this other black woman and she had the completely opposite experience. She was experiencing um, just a lot of isolation, um, really not able to do her job very well because of some of the, just the mental health challenges of constantly code switching, um, not really feeling respected, having to do extra work in order to 
just prove that she belonged there, all these different things. And she was feeling really just low at that point and was in the process of looking for another job. I actually think she, since then, she has another job where she's on a more diverse team, which has been really great for her. Um, But I tell those two stories because they illustrate two of the biggest findings in my research. One was about the mental health impact that these toxic workplace cultures um, can have on BIPOC who are having a a minority experience and don't have the support that they need. Like the mental health toll is real and it's felt in our bodies and it's, and we have to do a lot to heal that. Um, But on the other hand, for the women in the morning, I learned that there's actually a lot that an intentional leader can do to help create a more inclusive culture. So those two women, they explained, yes, our organization has a lot of work to do, but our supervisor, our direct supervisor is incredible. She understands systemic injustice. She understands how to advocate for us. She's a white woman. She's not a black woman, but she has done her work to understand how we're showing up to work every day. And so that really inspired me. I was like, okay, this is great. (laughs) This means anyone can learn what they need to learn to better manage these sorts of teams. So those were two of the big findings that really crafted the rest of my research over the next few years. That is so interesting. It also, it's also very encouraging to hear that, you know, all is not lost. Like, like work can be done within these organizations to create that environment. And it, it sounds like it's a continual journey of continual progress and growth in education as well. Yeah, absolutely. There are things that you can do. And I mean, I love, I think it's Dr. Beverly Tatum. I interviewed her for an event, um, I guess a couple years ago now. I think I was, was I at that event? You were at that event. It was such a good conversation. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much from her and I think she didn't say, she wasn't the first one to say this, but that moment encouraged me. She was like, you can't boil the ocean. You can't do everything, but what's the one thing you can do? And I think that leaders can learn about the systemic forces that are affecting their team and they can learn how to mitigate those um, those forces within the context of their workplace. So when a leader is trying to build a diverse and thoughtful organization, what do you find that they think that building that organization looks like versus you know, how do you contrast that with the reality of what goes into actually creating a better workplace? Yeah, I think leaders jump to recruitment and talent management. So they're thinking, how do I hire X, Y, and Z person reflecting these demographics? And how do I just make that happen? How do I check this off of my list? And in some ways, that is important. Representation is very, very important as long as you balance power with that representation as well. And that's another rabbit trail that we can go down if you want to. But that's where people go to first. Let me diversify my team. I think that it's more helpful and for the long run, perhaps more important that leaders do their own work to understand their own identities, their own stories, the biases that their parents or grandparents or communities of origin carry and to do work around knowing what those are and maybe changing some of their the way they think about those things. I also think it's important for leaders to think about how much diverse representation exists in their life outside of their workplace. I think if you are able to cultivate a diverse personal life, you're better equipped to navigate the nuances and challenges of diversity in the workplace. I also think it's really important for leaders to think about equity and think about what it looks like to partner with other organizations who are trying to solve some of the bigger picture racial inequity challenges we're facing as a society. And so 
what I want people to understand is that it's not just about the diverse representation within the four walls of your company or organization, but it's about it's about the big picture. Because when we talk about racial equity, when we talk about racial justice, and then, you know, when we boil that down even to diversity, it's it's a much bigger thing than what's happening in the four walls of your of your workplace. It's it's a whole life orientation that we have to bring to the forefront of our minds. I think that brings up a, a, a idea that I really appreciated from the book, which is you talked about how if you want to, you know, create a, a good environment at work, you also have to be like, working towards anti-racism in your own personal life, you know, in, in the relationships you carry, the 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 places that you spend your time, like all of these things you need to be thoughtful about. Can you talk a little bit about that idea of, you know, how our life outside of work affects, you know, this this progress that we want to make in our workplaces. Yeah, absolutely. So the story that comes to mind or the reality that comes to mind is I think of organizations where you have an executive level leader. So a CEO, maybe a board chair, and they don't have a lot of diversity on their team, not yet anyway. And maybe one of their first hires is a young woman of color and she joins the team and she is, you know, 24, 25 years old, but she's the only quote unquote, you know, racial diversity that you have in that organization. This is a hypothetical, but it happens all the time, actually. So um, go with me here, listeners. And so <laughs> imagine the situation. And then there's, you know, a, a racial crisis happens in the news. And that executive level leader, I'm assuming they're a white person, they, maybe they're in their 50s or 60s, they decide that the best thing for them to do is to internally consult with the young woman of color who just joined the team because she's their closest access point, the closest access point they have to the problem. And that creates an entire world of dysfunction and harm and and just as a power imbalance because you have this person who's not trained in diversity, equity, and inclusion, who's probably not trained in racial justice education, and they're now tasked, probably not paid, with informing or educating the entire company or organization or team. And so I know this is a hypothetical situation, but it plays out a lot, like I said. And if that executive level leader had been doing their own work to cultivate those relationships outside of their workplace environment, then we wouldn't end up with this strange internal situation where you have this young woman of color with this additional responsibility. And so when leaders are thinking about the internal culture, they need to also know, hey, do I have friends that I can call who are like my peers, my equals who can help me fill in some of these gaps? Are there places I can go physically with my body to be in environments where I can learn about a culture that's unlike my own? Are there stories that I can listen to, podcasts or books or movies, you know, ways that I can learn about these cultural realities that are different than my own without having to depend on the folks in my organization to be my teachers? And so that's one of the big reasons I think it's important for leaders Again, to think about diversifying their real life, um, because if you can do it in your real life, it just better prepares you to do it at work. That's really, really good. Not to mention that the like baggage that somebody in that position can bring to that, you know, twenty-four-year-old black woman who's you know their employee of there may be like this this white leader might be trying to work through the personal stuff of something that happened in the news as well, and trying to understand things on a personal level, which is you know I think probably entirely inappropriate in a workplace environment where, you know, this person is paid on 
you know, the work that they're doing. And so if you can have that outside of the workplace, then you can work through all of the personal baggage that you're working through too. Yes, absolutely. Because I mean, the hope is that people like your friends, you're not signing their paychecks, right? And so there is a, they're better likely to be able to tell you the truth. You can deal with all of your personal baggage that comes up without projecting it onto your employees. Um, There are all sorts of dynamics that can be avoided if you work it out in your five to nine, like in your life that's outside of the workplace. When you're thinking about, you know, giving power, you know, you you shared this example of, you know, a 24-year-old Black woman in a workplace who's maybe not, you know, trained in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it sounds like you don't want to just pass that power to this person just because she's the only Black person in your organization. you know, what kinds of choices should somebody be making with, you know, what power they're passing? And, you know, is that even a decision that should be made? Maybe we can unpack this a little bit together. I think that if you're an organization and you're looking for where to start, I do think it's, I do think consultants are helpful. Honestly, I think that there are people who have expertise and it is work. You know, it's a lift to find the right person. It's kind of like when you're looking for a real estate agent or something, you have to find the right person to help you accomplish your goal. Um, So I do think you have to sometimes bring in external stakeholders. I think that if your company or organization is large enough and there is actually some diverse representation, it would be interesting to listen to your team to figure out what they think needs to happen next. Not that... um, Not that they will have it all figured out, not that they will even all agree on what needs to happen next, but it can be helpful to do some listening around that. And then even if the team doesn't have a ton of representation, racial representation on it, I still think the listening exercise would be valuable because I'm assuming that you work with people who are thinking about these things too. And if not, then that might be the place to start. (laughs) And so that's, that's a couple of things that come to mind. What other questions does that bring up for you? No, that's that's already super helpful. Knowing that there are probably a lot of s- smaller organizations like ours where, you know, somebody's getting paid for their role, but, you know, they're not necessarily getting paid to take on the weight of, you know, making larger scale decisions for an organization and and shifting the dynamic of, you know, the diversity gap within a company or something like that. You know, how do you reconcile this idea of of adding on, you know, more tasks and weight to this person's role, you know, when they, when you don't have the ability to compensate somebody fairly for that increased, I almost want to say like workload, but also it's more, it's more the emotional burden that may come with it. Oh, that's a layered question. And (laughs) (laughs) like, I actually don't know. That was my, (laughs) that's what came to mind, but I'm just going to talk and see where we land. So I think that it would be so there's, of course, the l- ongoing learning that we do, you know, books, podcasts, that sort of thing, which is important. I find that it's helpful to remind myself that I'm not trying to solve this problem alone. So what does it look like to find community partners or organizations where you don't have to build all of your infrastructure from the ground up, but you can plug into what someone else is already doing and learn and learn there. Um, and again, there would have to be some work to find this sort of thing, but but there are so many people out here trying to address racial inequity, especially in the organizational context. And so I wonder if there are memberships or, or cohorts that you can join. Like, I'm just thinking, how do we plug into 
other communities that have the infrastructure to solve the problem so that whether it's you as the executive level leader or someone else on your team so that they're not isolated in that experience. Um, a few years ago, when I first joined the team at Plywood People, um, my boss knew that I was ha- going to have a minority experience on the team as the only Black woman on the team at that point. And he proactively set aside funds to send me to a conference specifically for leaders of color. And so I knew all year, like that was part of my compensation package. It was, we didn't use that language, but it was like, okay, Bethany's going to be the only black person on this team. That's going to be taxing. Let's go ahead and prepare to plug her into this community that will be supportive of her on her own journey. And so that maybe is slightly different than, you know, an organizational change initiative, but the idea is the same. How do we plug into communities that are doing the work so that we don't have to build it all out from from the inside. I find, um, because I work with some clients who, again, their first thought is, let me diversify my team. And I like to step back, especially after I do an evaluation with some of them, and it's like, okay, your team's probably not going to diversify for X, Y, and Z reasons. It's just probably not going to happen anytime soon. But that doesn't mean you can't find ways to stand in, to be in solidarity with the Black folks in your community or in your town. So how about we get creative about how you can leverage what you do have to still be an advocate for racial equity, even if it's not, again, represented within your four walls? We are going to take a quick break. And when we're back... Bethany and I talk about her vision for the future of racial equity and justice and the actionable advice she has for the community members wanting to make actionable change. Sounds Good is supported by Moon March. Moon March is the agency that partners with causes, campaigns, and companies to create a better future. Now, Moon March is, of course, creatively brilliant. They have amazing systems and processes. They have decades of real-world experience. And all of that is amazing. And all of that is a reason why I chose to work with Moon March. But what I love most about Moon March is that they speak the same language of doing good and making a difference that we do. And if you're listening to this podcast and you run something that wants to move the needle for good, you need allies who totally get what that world is like. They can speak the same language. They can understand the the same nuanced concerns, and they can focus on what it actually means to make a positive impact that doesn't sacrifice anything in the process. And that's the experience that I had with Moon March, and I could not imagine having a better partner for our project. If you are a brave soul running a company, cause, or a campaign that dares to rethink cultural establishments, Moon March is here to ensure that your story earns the participation it deserves. You can learn more about Moon March, explore their past work, and get in touch at moonmarch.com. That's moon, M-A-R-C-H, dot com. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems and breaking rules to rewrite the narrative for women. Their co-hosts, Sabrina Mirage-Naim and Kasia Binkowski, connect with radical activists and unassuming feminists who are reimagining what it means to be a woman in this world. They're 
Guests are located all over the world, across different countries and cultures. And the unifying thread is that they are disrupting social norms, religious traditions, political systems, and familial expectations to redefine what it means to be a woman in the world. Their past guests include media moguls, women fighting wildlife crime, ministers of health, female entrepreneurs, reproductive rights activists, and so many more. The podcast is fantastic. I could not recommend it more highly. You can find it by just searching for Breaking Glass in whatever podcast app you're in right now. Of course, you can learn more at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. One more time, just search for Breaking Glass in your podcast app or visit breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. As you were writing this book and kind of putting it together, you know, what was your hope for people to experience as they were reading this? I really wanted people to experience a sense of empowerment because it can be so easy to feel disempowered (laughs) when we start talking about racial equity, justice, diversity, all the things. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I don't know. And there's so many things to know and it's so tricky and I'm going to make so many mistakes. And that's all, that's all true. Those are true things. But I do think that there is something that all of us can do in our sphere of influence. We just have to do the work to discover what that thing is. And so I really wanted people to feel empowered. I wanted people to maybe have a new perspective or a new take on problems that they'd that they've learned about. And I want it to be, you know, I want it to be refreshing, challenging and refreshing. That was my hope. I think one example that comes to mind for me was, you know, you spoke to this idea of how, you know, an organization when they're when they're upholding white supremacist structures, one of the ways that that kind of happens, and I think you walked through eight examples of this, but one of them that really stood out to me was this idea of organizations will focus on perfectionism. This idea that we have to get this exactly perfect, especially in regard to you know racial justice work, or we shouldn't do it at all. And the problem with that is, and this is my natural tendency, you know, you just, you sit on your hands long enough, just waiting for the right perfect thing to create. And then you're never taking action. And I actually thought that it was so freeing when in the book, you basically said, you know, the reality is you are going to get things wrong. Like no matter what, no matter how perfect you think you're doing, like you are going to get things wrong. Therefore, you just have to make progress and you have to like continue that work and you've got to own your mistakes. And you know, it, it was really challenging to see that that problem that, you know, I know that I have experienced. And then so freeing also to recognize that there truly is an opportunity for growth in that regard. And I loved that. And the book is just filled with so many examples just like that. You know, that makes me think of a a challenge I'm navigating in my business right now. I'm I'm doing this new thing later this fall. And I'm having to learn all of these new things with marketing, like, and how to sell it. And I'm not great (laughs) at it. I'm like, I don't like sales. I'm realizing I don't love marketing. I'm realizing. And I was messaging um, with a couple of my friends about this. And they're like, Bethany, this is just, this is just what it is. You've just got to send the emails, learn the metrics, figure out the Facebook ads. You just got to keep going and you will, you'll figure it out eventually, but you have to invest in the process. And even though that feels excruciating, I'm like, oh, am I wasting money? Am I wasting time? Like, is this going to work? I think it translates in some ways to our work around organizational culture and diversity. Like we have to make these investments and we don't know what's going to stick or what's going to pan out. And it can feel really costly sometimes. 
Um, but we just keep going because we don't know what's going to work until we find the thing that works. It sometimes feels like there's just so many gaps in my knowledge and in you know the the work that I want to do that I'm like oh, I I I don't even know if I'm qualified to get started. But it, I find that it's a little bit helpful to kind of zoom out on my life and look at you know what happens when I'm 60 years old. I'm you know potentially leading another organization or or good 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 is you know celebrating 40 years or whatever. What kind of wisdom would I want to have then? And having that long tail view, you know, maybe allows me and hopefully others to say, okay, well, then what are the ways that I can start to chip at, you know, gaining that wisdom and knowledge and experience so that I can be the best leader possible, the most impactful possible. And again, I think your book unlocked a lot of that for me. Yes. The long view is so important. I, I often think of um, just, you know, my ancestors and, and Black folks who've come long before me and survived in some ways things that are way more difficult than I've had to live through and hopefully than I'll ever have to live through. And and just knowing that things have changed um, in some ways brings me a lot of hope. And it's not, you know, a thing that happens overnight, but I can hope and plan and work towards a future where my children or my grandchildren are walking into institutions and they don't have to dim their light. You know, they can be fully who they are and bring their best to work every day. And the people around them know how to be supportive of that. Um, That long view really encourages me. So some people listening, you know, might not be leading organizations, but they are, you know, working within organizations and they're they're certainly existing within our society that is, you know, reckoning with racial injustice. And I think that one thing that you know, I think at least everybody who's kind of being empathetic and paying attention uh, has experienced over the last few years is this idea of, you know, coming to terms with recognizing some sort of internal bias that they carry. You know, you you read an article or a book or you watch a documentary or, or maybe you just, you know, pay a little bit of attention to, you know, what's going on in your heart and in your mind and you recognize, oh my goodness, I was carrying this internal bias that I previously didn't realize that I carried, you know, when we experience that, how should we respond to that? You know, what should we do uh, to, you know, take essentially an about face from that moment? I think it's important that we respond to ourselves with compassion and with some grace because we're human beings. And, and psychologically, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I've read that living with bias is just a human experience. Like our brain puts things and puts people into categories and we tell ourselves stories to help our brain literally conserve energy. And while a lot of our biases um, can be really unhelpful, um, I think rather than berating yourself or or shutting down or letting that, you know, kind of stop you from making progress. I think it's important just to acknowledge that it's there. Maybe do some reflection around where it came from. You know, where did this idea come from? Is it from me? Is it from the news? Is it from, for many of us, it probably started when we were really small, like in the family of origin that we're from. So doing some work to understand the root is very helpful. Um, and then, I do two things in my own practice. One is that I try to look for evidence of the contrary to whatever the bias is. And so that just kind of helps me realize, okay, well, there's another way to see this or another way to view people from whatever group this is. Um, and I've actually experienced that other way. And then um, and then to commit to in your brain saying, ah, that's not true. 
this is true instead. And there is some work around unconscious bias that suggests that um, our brains are malleable. And so when you find a thought or a perspective that doesn't serve you anymore, you can work on, you know, this might sound metaphysical or whatever, but you can work on releasing that and then adopting a new belief. Um, and over time, your brain, your brain does change. And so be gracious with yourself, but but be honest and do some work around where it came from and and try to replace that that lie with a new story. This has just been such a helpful conversation. And I am just loving learning from you in every way. As we kind of close out this podcast episode, you know, I would love to just ask for, you know, a piece of closing advice uh, from you on, on two things. One, what kind of advice would you give? to leaders within organizations that really do want to, you know, close that gap between good intentions and actually bringing about positive change. And then number two, what kind of encouragement would you offer to, you know, a person of color, somebody from a marginalized community who is working within a predominantly white workplace and uh, and maybe finding challenges within that. Yeah. So I would say to a person who's leading an organization and you're trying to close the gap between your good intentions and your impact, I would say to first do a little bit of reflection around your journey so far. Where did you start? How did you get to where you are? Um, I'm a big believer that our stories carry so much good and helpful information. <laughs> and so being able to know like, okay, here's where I'm at. Where was I before? And then spend some time thinking, where do I want to go as a leader? And then where am I hoping that this organization will go? I Vision's so important. And vision that's informed by the past is even more important. So I think doing some reflective work can't be under underestimated. I also, and I've already spoken to this a little bit, but I think doing some work around your own Identity is really important, like knowing how your unique set of identity markers have affected your leadership journey, your perspective, your worldview. Again, I just think that is so, it's so important so that as you're building relationships and as you are working on your hiring pipeline, as you are looking for partners to help advance racial equity in your community or in the world, you have to know how you're showing up into the room and what that means for the relationships you're building. And so, that's my that's my piece of advice to leaders. And that's not just for white folks, that's for everyone. Like to be doing that work mm. is for every single human um, that seeks to build cross-racial, cross-cultural partnerships and relationships. So that's for everyone. Specifically to um, people of color who are having a, you know, a minority experience at work and finding it challenging. Oh, that deep breath is for you. Um my first thought was like, okay, how are you breathing? How are you doing? Just to do a general check-in because it can be a lot. And um, if you are not doing well, then my encouragement would be to plug into a community of people who can empathize and who can relate to your journey and as much as you're able to do that. Um, my second thing that I would say to people after checking in to people of color is to just be really clear on why you're in that particular environment. And is it worth it to you? That's my next question. Why are you there and is it worth it? 
And if you're there for a good reason, then what supports do you need to stay in that environment? And if you find that you are there for reasons that you don't have to be, and maybe you can find employment elsewhere, then to consider doing that. So I know that was like three tiers for people of color, but I spend a lot of time in conversations with folks who are having that experience. And it's important that you're doing well. And if you aren't doing well, that you're able to get into a, a space where you're able to heal. What does a better world, what does a better work environment look like? Maybe help to kind of close out this episode, cast a vision for, you know, what kind of world we could be living in uh, if we all put in the work to create this change. Oh, wow. Big question to land the plane here. <laughs> and part of me, I'm like, oh, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, but that's not true, actually. I have seen it. Just I haven't seen it at work yet. Um, but I think... I'm imagining a workplace where black folks, because that's my experience, um, where we're able to go to work and we don't have to code switch nearly as much in terms of the ways we talk or the ways we move or the ways we lead. That's really important. Um, I'm imagining a place where everyone from all racial backgrounds are able to um, not only like fully embody their own cultural heritage and their story, but they're, they have the uh, openness to honor the stories of everyone else. Uh, that would be really incredible. Um, I'm imagining a workplace environment where power is shared among multiple different kinds of people. And by power, I mean, in terms of the boards of directors that exist and executive leadership teams. I imagine increased collaboration. I imagine increased courage and creativity. I also imagine that institutions are leveraging their resources to continue advancing larger social causes um, and not you know, being so focused on what's happening again within their four walls those are a few of the things that come to mind that's bethany wilkinson author of the diversity gap and the founder of the diversity gap academy you can learn more about their work at the diversitygapacademy.com and of course order Bethany's book The Diversity Gap wherever you buy books. You can follow Bethany on Instagram at, at @bethany.wilkinson. It's spelled B E T H A N E Y .wilkinson. W I L K I N S O N. This podcast was created by Good 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 at Good Good Good. We help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our all-new website, goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, Rhea Bagua, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please make sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get a new episode of Sounds Good delivered straight to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of the show, share it on your Instagram stories to get the word out about celebrating good news and taking good action. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and take small steps to close the gap between good intentions and true cultural change. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good?